Hey, good people. This is your NI Dom back with another reflection. And this is a personal journal for contemplative people looking to think, grow, and have impact in the world. So, hey, starting this reflection off with the notion of anxiety. Anxiety. Um, as I'm understanding, it is a feeling of unease. And it is something that I don't contend with a lot. But I have noticed that it exists within me as a pattern. I've been curious about this pattern for about four to six months. And this morning, I finally sat with it and did a little bit of um, poking around on Google. Because as a this, I've been speculating as to... the pattern and the causes of anxiety when I do experience it. And so I have a wild, kind of a wild theory that's forming around uh, anxiety as, a, as it, as I'm experiencing it. I don't really think it has anything to do with anxiety. I mean, I, I'm going to connect it to the cognitive functions actually. And I started my Google search this morning, trying to connect it with my dominant cognitive function. But as I was reading, something said, look into that auxiliary function. And so I want to just share with you my musings on anxiety as relating to those two cognitive functions and the so what to it. Like, what are the implications of it? We are moving steadily towards the 50th episode, uh, which will be 300 episodes for this project at the end of June. So I have about seven more to do. In four days. So we're moving steady towards the mark. Do not feel compelled to consume them as I release them. I will be going dark or silent over July. So you have a whole month to get caught up. Okay. So just wanted to keep giving that reminder. Let me do my disclaimers. If you're new to this project, this is a personal journal where I process my inner and my outer worlds. I do so by using personality theory. The two that I use the most are the Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram. Pushing those two systems together, I identify as an INTJ8. I also identify as an African-American woman from a lower socioeconomic background and from intergenerational trauma. This project is unedited and is unscripted. <laughs> I just skipped a lot of my disclaimers, didn't I? That's okay. We're going to go. I just jumped right to the end. I missed about three disclaimers, but that's okay. If you want to know more about it, this project or me, feel free to go to my website at yournidom.wordpress.com. I think that's telling that I skipped some of those disclaimers because I've been thinking about the role of this, like, um, dropping my disclaimers down. And then when I struggle with that, I then go, well, what is the role of the disclaimers? Because there's, there's a reason why I give all of those disclaimers. So people better understand my reflection process. But as I start preparing for season five and what shifts I'm going to make, I have been thinking about changing those disclaimers up a little bit, but I don't know yet. So today was kind of like either oops or foreshadowing of what's to come so um let's just start this reflection we are under five minutes again i did my intro 
my some housekeeping and my disclaimer is I'm on fire. <laughs> so anyway. Okay, so the past few months I've noticed um anxiety in my body at a particular time. And because I don't experience anxiety a lot in my opinion, at least consciously I don't. Um I'm not I don't think I'm real savvy as to what it looks like on me, how it shows up in my body. The only reason why I'm saying I'm not conscious of it is because um No, I don't think I deal with anxiety. I just don't think I do. But I guess the reason why I am pausing because I think introvert intuition could allow for anxiety because we see so much that can could easily be overwhelming. But this is powerful. I mean, I'm kind of jumping deep into the reflection of something I I'm I want to say. I think. I'm not overwhelmed at the depths of what I see. That doesn't overwhelm me. I think about two friends that I know that deal with anxiety and actually take medication for it. I think they're taking medication for it. Even if if they're not, they talk about (laughs) taking medication, dealing with their anxiety. Because they don't know what to do with the things that they see. They don't... Like one friend that keeps her up at night, she's worrying about what she sees. So when I see something in depth, I usually, it, it prompts me to take action. Whether action means confronting, um, going up to someone, does it mean problem solving or does it mean writing about it? This is so good. Like I didn't even know these things were going to come out of my mouth. I still thank you guys for being here. This project has just been just a powerful resource for me in my own thinking. So I really do hope you're getting something out of it because I do. (laughs) I do. So yeah, I don't experience anxiety when I see the depth of something. But it does cause me to act. And that action probably is from me as a TE, right? I take action on it. And so again, I might go and confront, I might go and problem solve or build, either problem solve directly or start building something that is to problem solve or I write about it. And that's kind of where I've been lingering um, in my thinking really since I've, primarily since I've been on vacation for two weeks, but I think it started also a few months ago. That I see so much, I see so much, and I think I have a unique perspective that I want to get that out in the world. And sometimes when you are problem solving it, which is fine, then you become focused on that thing that you're problem solving, and then you have to shut out all of the other things that you see. And so one of the things I'm wondering now as I'm talking this through is what's of greater value for me in this, uh, for the world actually, in the second half of life for me to zero in on a thing, to zero in on a solution, because it's going to be grand, right? 
because as a type eight, I'm not really motivated to invest a lot of time in small solutions. I don't know how other INTJs feel, but as an INTJ eight, there's more of a grandness about it, me, in terms of what I'm going to attempt to problem solve. Like the bigger, the better, the greater the challenge is awesome. The more intensity, I love it, right? But I am getting older and I am tired, you know, at least. I don't even, I don't even, I'm tired, but I don't even think the tired is about quote unquote grandiosity. I think the tiredness is about trying to solve something that my insight tells me it's going to take a lot. And I'm not sure if it's worth that. And that's where I sound like a little bit of a type five. Cause I'm like, I don't know if it's worth that energy. Right. So, you know, I'm, 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 I'm bouncing a little bit. You guys just bear with me because, um, every once in a while I get into what's called tri types in the Enneagram. And, uh, but mostly when I talk about the Enneagram and I haven't done this lately, I talk about subtypes. And so subtypes are your instincts, instincts in the Enneagram, whether we are social, sexual, or self-preservation. And so I haven't really talked about my subtype uh, lately. I can think about why. I've just been talking about being a type eight. Um, but I'm mostly, mostly I'm interested in subtypes. But there are times when I become curious about what's called tri-types. And a tri-type in the Enneagram is when you say, I'm primarily these numbers, but I have these other two numbers that also influence my personality. So uh, Dr. Beatrice Chestnut, I really just think she is really insightful about the Enneagram. And I use her book um, as a resource guide on a regular basis. I believe I read somewhere, I don't know if it was in her book or not, but I read somewhere that, um, I read somewhere where she said, she doesn't really believe tri-types or wings are necessary. That if you really study your subtype in the Enneagram, you don't really need to get into tri-types or the wings. And that might not be a, a direct quote, so I don't want to misrepresent her. Uh, but I believe I read something to that effect. But anyway, I said all of that to say that um, my tri-type, I believe, is 853. I believe it is. Um Although sometimes I can I can uh, question if I'm eight five four, and I think that's just if, depending on what I'm working on, because eight five fours are more scholarly driven, and um, so I think it depends on where what what my work is. But when I'm in my dominant work, um, probably as an educator, it's eight five three. I said all of that to tell you that even though um, in traditional or classic classical uh, Enneagram interpretation that your number has a I'm not um, I'm not gonna call it regression I can't think of the word right now but it's a disintegration there it is so you can disintegrate to another number when you're stressed and you integrate into another number when you're in your higher self so for eights, when we're stressed, we disintegrate into fives. So, <laughs> so there are two ways fives can show up for me. I can disintegrate into a five or it's part of my tri-type. I don't care how you slice it. I'm just saying that. 
where there are a lot of I most I believe most INTJs are fives. Um, I think that I do have five tendencies, and the five tendency in me says there are some problems that aren't worth my energy for solving. I've made and so type fives are really thoughtful about energy because they don't feel like they have a lot of it. And so as an eight, I feel like I do have more. I don't really worry too much about energy, but it has to be calculated energy. It has to be energy worth my while. Let's let's get back to the topic at hand. I believe all of this stuff, little random stuff doesn't matter, but you've been following this project, you know how I float, you know how you know how I roll. <laughs> so anyway. Okay. I don't know. I'm just, I don't know. Am I in a good mood or something? I have no idea why. I don't know. That feels, I feel kind of like a giddy. What the hell is that about? But anyway, so, um, okay, so let me see where I, where do I want to go? So I don't get overwhelmed by the depths of what I see. The depths of what I see doesn't make me anxious. And mainly what I'm, what I'm considering right now is, it doesn't make me anxious because I know I feel like I can do something with it. It doesn't sit. I take action and I confront, solve, or write about it. And I wonder with other people who are who deal with anxiety as relating to what they see, what they perceive, if they don't have a problem solving apparatus. They don't have a, they don't have a, okay, now what? I'm seeing these horrible things that could happen. Now what? Then I guess I'll, I guess what they're doing is sitting with it. And I, I guess I can be overwhelming and I think it can, I guess it can cause anxiety. Um, it makes me wonder though if that's an NI DOM. Like if a person experiences that, I'm curious if there's a correlation. So I, I don't know. Like my one friend, I don't know. I have not typed her, but she's going to be with me for about a week. Um, she's coming to visit me in a couple of weeks. So I will get a chance. To, I'm just telling her business, but I will get a chance to type her. And I'll talk. I'm going to look. I'm going to think about this anxiety that I know she experiences, but we're going to get out of her business and get into my business where I, when I experience anxiety. So I don't experience anxiety with NI. I don't believe I do, but that's why I pause because I was thinking, well, NI would cause anxiety. But after talking for about 10, 15 minutes, I believe the reason why I don't experience anxiety with my NI, my introvert intuition, is because of my fairly confident TE, my auxiliary function, in terms of taking action. All right, let's talk about what, when, I, when I do experience anxiety in terms of what I've been noticing. I have noticed... This is going to be really weird talking as a writer, right? I'll write about it. I'll notice that sometimes when I'm writing, I have a feeling of unease. It'll go through me. It'll be, it won't last. It'll just go through me. Now, as I'm saying this, I wonder if it's not even about the writing. Maybe if it's not, maybe it's not about the writing. And maybe it's not about what I'm writing about. Maybe it's a process that I go through when I'm writing 
I would imagine I go through a number of different processes as I'm writing. And maybe it's one of those processes that I go through. And this is, and I think I'm, so I'm going to tell you what my theory that I woke up with. And that might be connected to this writing piece. Let's see. And I'm not writing with any notes. So I hope I don't forget what I'm saying. So I have noticed that when I'm writing, not always, and I haven't yet figured out the pattern within the writing, but I'll notice that when I'm writing, at times, I have that feeling. Or even better, I'll notice that when I have that feeling, I'm writing. That's a better way of saying it, because I don't feel that every time I'm writing. But oftentimes when I have that feeling, I am writing. That sounds like the same thing, doesn't it? But it's not because I don't always feel that when I'm writing. But when I do feel it, I am writing. Okay, part that because I'm going to throw something else in here. I also noticed it when I'm reading. Not every time I read do I feel anxiety. And I don't know what it is that I'm reading that would generate it. But I've been paying attention. When that feeling goes through my body, I've noticed that I was reading. I'm reading. It happens mostly when I'm writing, though. At least that's when I became aware of it. But recently, I've paid it, I've seen it when I'm reading. And I cannot stress this enough because I read and write a lot. It does not happen every time I read and write. I don't even think it happens 70. I don't think it happens... I don't even think it happens 10% of when I read and write. I really don't. I don't experience it a lot. But when I notice it, at least, I'm writing mainly or reading. Okay, let's park that. So, the reason why I started wondering if it was anxiety, because I did go through a season where I was experiencing anxiety and I noticed it. And, and twice now. Well, I've trained myself to notice it. I don't know. Let me let me talk this through. My grandmother passed away in 2017. My maternal grandmother. The only grandmama I ever knew. That's like my second mama. She was everything. And I swear to goodness, I think that she's she's in my body. I feel like she is with me every day. Um, and I've been thinking a lot about our closeness. Because in our family, we have this fight about who was her favorite. I have never, ever, ever tried to play the game that was her favorite. But recently, I'm like, I may not have been her favorite, but I wonder if I'm the one that was closest to her in terms of her authenticity and in terms of like what we would experience. Because I really, I think I talked about this in my one of my episodes yesterday. I, we were able to sit in silence together and enjoy each other. And I don't know how many of people had that with her, but I'm going to find out because our family we're getting together is <laughs> called, I think they're calling it something family in July or something. And <laughs> I must be in a good mood because I'm laughing a little more than I normally do because this really shouldn't make me laugh what I'm about to say. I told you guys uh, in my housekeeping notes that I'm going to go quiet in July, right? I really shouldn't do that because I know I'm going to have a lot of reflections 
for July because of uh, the intergenerational trauma. But I already have given myself an out that if I have to do a reflection, I'll just take it to YouTube. So go to YouTube. And I've been posting more articles on Twitter. I posted an article this morning on Twitter. So go check it out. I'm so excited that I'm starting to kind of get a relationship with my um my sec my third Twitter account. I have two other. I always talk about my primary Twitter account, but I actually have two Twitter accounts. Three now. So I'm finally uh figuring out how I'm gonna be doing Twitter under this under your NI Dominus where I get up in the morning, I have a thought, and I start looking at articles. Well, if I read it and I find it, it was of value. I'm not saying that the articles are scientific. You know, I'm not saying I'm vetting the person. I'm just saying, I read this article and it's making me think and I've been tweeting it. So check it out. And you can also follow me on Twitter, if, you know, if you want to really show me some love. But it's okay. So, um, so yeah. Um, so I read it. I, I was read. So anyway, so that's when I noticed when my grandmother passed. I noticed that there was a feeling on me that was so strong. So um, I think I told you guys that I periodically take myself um, through, uh, I do fasts, and I fast from adult beverages. And as I've come to learn about INTJs, and excuse me, NIDOMs, INTJs and INFJs have an inferior function called extroverted sensing. It's the sensation part of us, and it's our inferior function. We don't have the best relationship with it. Um, excuse me. We just don't rely on it. So it can be stressful. Sometimes when we go through stress, we we lock ourselves in there. So some people might overindulge in alcohol, overindulge in food, overindulge in sex, over you know anything that has sensation because those top functions are not functioning, are not helping us. So we just use our last resort. And now, you know, so I, um, it just gives me a sense of control. I don't know, I haven't, I haven't analyzed why I do it, but I definitely take myself on a, um, uh, an uh, alcohol fast every year. And I've never done it as, um, something I've written down and never have done it where I said, but it's just something that I've done maybe for 15 years. And so I think it's about control, though. I don't, um, and I love adult beverages, by the way. You know what I mean? I love out, you know, drinking wine. Like I, um, uh, I'm mainly a tequila drinker, but uh, my sister's a wine drinker, and and I'm not a beer drinker. But I went out and had uh, with a guy friend. He was drinking beer. I was like, I'll drink some beer with you. So I had to have two glasses of beer. I think I had two, and. Um, uh, and I was like, oh, this beer is so good, you know. But I'm from the Midwest, and I'm in like this, uh, from a factory town. I also noticed that when I moved to the South in the Bible Belt, I noticed that there was a different culture around alcohol than there is in the Midwest. So I think that also influences me and all that. But anyway, so I take myself on these cleanses. All right, so I want to share this with you. And every time I take myself on a cleanse, and this is any kind of fast, because I used to do food fasts when I was really into church. I would fast every week on food. I would not eat food every, I think it was Tuesday. Every Tuesday, I fasted. I did not eat food for 24 hours. And 
true to that fast, I would come out of that with a deeper insight. So I think any kind of fast is going to give you some kind of uh, insight because what you're doing is starving the flesh. You're stripping the flesh of some kind of um, satisfaction. And then I believe, now this is my own theorizing. I think when the body, when you can't go to the body for satisfaction, you start going to other places for satisfaction. And I do believe spirit is a part of us, although my rational brain is still struggling with understanding how is spirit a part of us. But I do believe it's, we are part spirit. I just don't rationally know how to explain that. Okay, so in my irrational self, I believe that we're part spirit and that when we starve the body of whatever, then our, of whatever has been satisfying us, then our psyche goes to something else for satisfaction. So that's my thinking, my theory. Let me know if you guys, if that resonates with you or not. But anyway, so, um, so yeah, when I would do these weekly fasts, I would learn something. And then when I would do these, uh, when I would do the weekly fast with food, I would, um, learn, um, something about myself or get closer to spirit. And then now I'm learning that when I do these annual fasts from, um, my adult beverages, I learned something. And one of the things that I learned, um, around my grandmother's death, um, because I was in a fast. <laughs> I was a fa- in a fast before she passed. And so, uh, and they, I remember making the decision um, to end the fast. So all the way right up into while she was in hospice, all while she was dying, I was, I held to that fast, right? Because that's another thing for me. I don't set a goal that I don't achieve, you know? And then she passed. You know, and and so I waited my time, but I remember just thinking about this feeling of deep grief and deep sorrow. And then while other family members were numbing out on whatever they did to numb out, and um, some people, you know, um, had adult beverages, um, and that's the only that's the only uh, what do you call it advice? Um, uh, that's the only substance I will entertain. I don't like take, I don't like putting stuff in my body, uh, believe it or not. So, um, while other people were indulging in different substances, if you will, um, I, I had to sit with that deep sorrow and a deep grief and all of that. And I started paying attention to my body. Like, how does it fit in the body? All right. So. Fast forward after the fast, I, st- I went back to being normal again. And, um, I noticed that grief would happen and I would want to indulge in uh, an adult beverage. And I would say, nope, nope, we're not, nope, we're going to at least get to five o'clock, right? Because I would have that feeling in the morning, like right when I would wake up. And, you know, you can go and have mimosas, right? Mimosas are like, it's orange juice and champagne, I think. But there are other kind of mimosas I'm learning. Yeah, I could do that. I also, during this time, thought about smoking cigarettes. I don't smoke cigarettes. When I turned 18, I wanted, that was 
Two things I wanted to do when I turned 18. I wanted to get a second piercing in my ear because my mother wouldn't let me get my whole, my, my, a second piercing my ear. I had to be a grown. That's crazy when I think about it now. So, <laughs> like I think about my nieces with tattoos and pet, you know, and how my sister's like, you gotta be 16. <laughs> and now I had to be 18 before I can get a second piercing in my ear. And, um, so I, um, so that was one thing I did when I turned 18. And the other thing I wanted to do because I could buy a pack of cigarettes and I was like, okay, I'm going to be a smoker now. So I go buy a pack of cigarettes. I didn't like it. But because I, because I had set to do it, it took me a long time for me to accept, you're not a smoker. So I would buy a pack of cigarettes that would last about six months. <laughs> and probably they would have lasted longer had my friends not borrowed the cigarettes. I do think it's sexy. Excuse me. I'm, I'm, this is probably a, I need to put, um, I'm going to have to put a disclaimer in this episode. Like we're talking about drinking and smoking. But these are the things that SE will entertain. Um, and especially when it's in the inferior function and we don't talk about it. So I know that some people, you know, we talk about the grip. INTJs will talk about the grip, but we don't talk about the ways, uh, the unhealthy habits of that inferior function for the INTJ. So anyway, so I, man, maybe by the, by the time I turned 19, I knew smoking wasn't for me because I had bought all of two packs of cigarettes. And, um, and so even when I would buy, smoke a cigarette, I couldn't smoke the whole thing. I would take two to three puffs. I did not like it, but there was something about it that I just wanted to do. All right. Well, after my grandmother passed and I would wake up in the morning with this extreme feeling of something in my body and I knew like, nope, we're not going to get up in the morning and drink. We're just not going to do that. Then I started fantasizing, oh, maybe I should start smoking cigarettes. I started thinking about cigarettes. And like for a while, I was like, oh, Lord, I'm getting ready to start. And I think the only thing that stopped me from buying a pack of cigarettes is because I remembered that I didn't like the way they taste. I didn't like the way cigarettes taste in my mouth. I think that is the only thing that stopped me from smoking cigarettes during that time. Somebody may say, well, why didn't you try to smoke something else? I just have never been interested, um, mainly because other, other substance is illegal and I'm a person that has a healthy appreciation for the law. <laughs> so I'm just done a person. I'll break a rule in a minute, but I don't break the law. And so, um, yeah, so I just have never really indulged. So anyway, I'm saying all of my, giving you all of my business this morning is because, and by the way, it's Sunday morning. Because, um, I was waking up and, um, contending with this feeling in my body that felt awful. It felt awful and I wanted it to go away. I wanted it to go away. And the only thing that I could think of to make it go away would be, you know, like I said, the adult beverage. And because I wouldn't allow myself to indulge, I started studying that feeling in me. All right. So that's, I never caught that feeling anxiety, by the way. I never talked about, I never felt, never talked about it. And then my grandmother died in 2017. And then I started noticing as I moved about in the world, after I got over that initial phase of just intense 
grief. It was a different grief that I experienced from my dad, which is one of the reasons why I've been nervous about my father just dying because I remember what I went through with my grandmother and I haven't experienced that with my dad. And I don't know if it's because of the nature of the relationship. I don't know if it's because I had four years to prepare from prepare for my dad's dying. I never told you guys about a dream that I had. And I do want to tell you about that dream, but I want to do it in a separate um, box because it, yeah, I'd love to process. And I'm not a dream analysis person, although I think I do have a relationship with dreams. I just haven't. Because that feels also irrational. The TE doesn't like to say, oh, this dream, what does it mean? I don't like it at all. Mm -mm. But anyway, I do believe I have a relationship with dreams, particularly the ones that I, there are certain types of dreams that have a symbolic value. Like I'll have, you know, I'll say, ooh, when when a dream has a symbolic treatment, like there's something completely odd about it, like extremely odd, more than dreams can be odd. Um, like if I, like if I have a dream that I'm a mouse, yes, I've, I've had a dream twice where I was a mouse. Once I had it that I was a gorilla, right? So, (laughs) so anytime I have a dream where I am not a human, that's symbolic for me, right? Um, you guys are going to be like, please go get you some help. Oh my God. Anyway. <sighs> well, I'm, I'm talking about like anxiety. So I would imagine that all of this weirdness would come up in this reflection. Cause I'm like, why are you talking about all these weird things? But I think that that's the nature of anxiety is when you have a level of unease and discomfort. And how do we experience unease and discomfort? Right? What is it? The, what is the way that it manifests? Um, what does it represent? What do we do about it? But it's definitely doesn't come from happy. Doesn't come from happiness. Anxiety doesn't come from joy. You know what I mean? It comes from something that's more complicated or darker, problematic. And so that's not easy for me to talk about, but it is part of the human experience. So I am going to push forward in this. Man, two years ago, I would have never had the courage to do this kind of reflection. Okay, so um, so after my after I got through that feeling with my grandmother, um, and I would experience normal anxiety, like nervousness, or like my stomach would drop, or and again, it doesn't happen often. I start I drew a correlation between that, like those flashes of anxiety, that feeling of unease, with that pervasive, gross feeling of unease after my grandmother passed. And I was like, oh, there was that time was anxiety induced. And I have now noticed it with my dad. Now, I don't experience anxiety that I dealt with my grandmother for a year. Now, it didn't take a year for me to be able to. So after like, I want to just go back to that time because I remember the pattern. That, um. I um I would wake up with it in the morning. I noticed it when I was able to get wake up and I didn't experience it until noontime. Then I noticed when I was able to get all the way to that five o'clock. Then I remember when I was able to get through a whole day without feeling it. 
And I think that's all about being a person that can recognize patterns, right? I don't know about you. If you're a pattern person, a pattern uh, person as an NI dom, to me, that's not just recognizing patterns in the world. That's patterns of being able to see patterns in, in, internally as well. Um, I would really challenge you if you're not seeing inner, inner patterns, right? Cause I always talk about in this project, I'm processing my inner, my outer worlds. That means maybe I'd recognize patterns outside of me and within me. Um, so I saw that, you know, I saw that it took me a, you know, it took me a, I would say it took a year almost to get through the whole day where I wasn't experiencing, at least consciously, that anxiety that I felt in the loss, in the absence of my grandmother. And I know that I'd be curious to process later at some point the relationship between anxiety and grief, because I know a lot of that was grief driven too, or at least let me put it this way. Let me say it this way. At that time, that's what I called it. I called it grief. I'm now connecting it to anxiety because I've been uh, becoming aware of what anxiety looks like in my body. And so I saw a connect, I see a connection between whatever that was I was feeling in her after her passing to my body now. And then it really, maybe it, it crystallized when my father passed in September. And I know my, my sister, because she lost um, our stepfather, she was very close to. She said, be careful. She said, I lost a lot of weight when Papa died. That's what we called him. And she said, be careful. Because I had just lost that weight last year. You know, I, I lost almost 30 pounds. And I was like, I'm, I'm just like when they told me when I went to grad school, when I went to get my master's degree, I was told, you're going to gain weight. And I was so determined that's, you know, and you tell me I'm not going to do it. I'm going to be mindful. And so I think for a long time, I was so focused on it, just like with that graduate degree. I was so determined. I probably, but after the degree, I think it hit me, you know. And so I went through that after daddy died for a few, you know, I don't think. I think I was managing the weight. And then when another stress hit me, another level of stress was added. When they put me on that special assignment with the job, it was a wrap. It was a wrap. I was contending with just too much. And so I did grip on it. I did go into a grip, you know. And I don't even, I don't think it was the same kind of grip because I wasn't like bringing sweets into my house. But at the job, they had sweets every, like, oh, if they had sweets in the teacher's lounge, I was going to eat it. Whereas before, I could be like, no, thank you. I could walk past it, not touch it. I'd be like, no, thank you. So, um, And so, um, hold on a second. I'm sorry. I got distracted by some, uh, my, my, my brain or my introverted intuition made a connection, uh, between something that had nothing to do with what I was talking about. 
but somehow I was triggered and so I went off into my head so I had to hit the pause button and I've been paused for a minute so I want to try to get back to the conversation but definitely I know there's going to be some disjointedness here I think I was talking about the way like so the way you know me having the grief that hadn't and then the extra um the extra stress of the job I just I got to a place where um I just I no longer cared about food like food I mean about my 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 weight management not at all and so um and that also included working out so um I work out in the mornings um nope for the last four months nope didn't care nope anyway so I mean and those are the things those aren't things that you know I'm not even conscious about like not even fascinated about um processing so anyway um I just wanted to share all of that with you just in terms of me studying I I wanted to talk about those those cognitive functions I'm going to try to close there but I think in order to get you to appreciate the connection I'm making with the cognitive functions, I needed to first first let you know that I have been very interested in the correlation between, in terms of my body and my emotions. Because I don't always recognize the emotion Sometimes I'm able to start recognizing it in my body, like my body is an indicator. And that wasn't always the case. I think I've told you this before. A friend of mine gave me a book. Don't even know the name of the book. I remember when he gave me the book, I thought it was like something woo-woo, like whatever. But that, you know, your body will, something about the body will communicate to you your emotions. As As an INTJ, just a person that just doesn't, um, process those emotions. That's not where I spend most of my mental energy. That it can be easy to overlook the emotional realm as well as the physical realm, as you hear me talking about. Um, I was reading something about NI dimes in the physical world, like, or it's just so easy for us to miss a lot of the things in the physical world because that's just not where we're focusing our attention our mental attention in the physical world and those emotions doesn't mean that they're not there. It just means we're not processing it. We're not processing it and we're not connecting to it. So I, um, I think once I started making this correlation between my emotions and my body as a way of telling me how I'm feeling, it's just been a day. It's been a data point for me. And so I try to, I try to give space for it. I don't do it all the time. But sometimes when that body feeling, whatever that feeling is in the body, can be so stark, it it demands me to give it attention. So I just want to let you guys know that that's just something I've learned to do. Um, It's my initial interest inquiry in in terms of the book that my friend gave me. I was in my mid-30s. And just now, and you know, as I'm in my early fifties, that it's just something I, I just understand uh, that there's, there's that, that correlation. So 
going back to reading and writing and feeling flashes of anxiety, right? One of the things that I, up until this morning, one of the things that I had started theorizing, like I started seeing a pattern and then I started theorizing what was happening, is that if I embark on a, in, the, in my writing, if I embark on something that has multiple possibilities, I can experience overwhelm that may translate into anxiety. Now I need to also go and look at the correlation between correlation between anxiety and overwhelm. And I just don't, I'm afraid to go and look it up. So two things, anxiety and grief and anxiety and overwhelm, right? And the only thing I can think about in terms of, I'm and when you're writing, it's different from reading, kind of, kind of, you, you are in control. I think about when I think my cousin, when he was my student, he would say, I rather write and then read because when I read, I have to take in someone else's thinking. When I write, it's about my thinking. Yes, for the most part. But I think for me, when I'm writing, I'm not, oh, this is interesting based on what I read this morning, based on the article I put on Twitter. Go so check it out. Can't think of the title of it. But I was, the article is about, you know, oftentimes, I see a similarity between NI and TI. I feel like I can see a similarity between introverted intuition and introverted thinking. But those are two different types of functions. One is a perceiving function. One is a judging function. So they're, they do two different things. So I was curious about why was I seeing that as a similarity. And they're both introverted functions. And so there's something about introversion that um, allows for the subjectivity of of, of, of the individual. So, but I was curious if there were more similarities between NI and TI than just the, um, introverted subjectivity. And, um, they are from, they, they do have, they, they can look like cousins. Um, uh, and what I loved about what happened at the end of this article, it says, when NI is paired with TE, it can it can take on some of the attributes of TI. Likewise, when TI is paired with NE, it can look like it takes on some of the attributes of NI. And that's why they look similar. Read the article. Uh, that's why they look similar. So um, I appreciated that. So I think that, but when I, so let me get back to my writing. When I'm writing, if there's something about what I'm writing that activates that fifth function, fifth function, which is called the opposing function, it gives me some anxiety. That's what I've been thinking. And I've been wondering that. Like, oh, it just gave me some anxiety. And I'm saying it may be because in my opposing function is extroverted intuition. And now all of a sudden, in my mind, I got all of these possibilities and NI wants to go deep into one idea. 
and having multiple possibilities now is an overwhelm for me because I now have the, a need to do a deep dive in all of those possibilities. See, and it's just not possible. It's not possible for me to do a deep drilling down into all of the possibilities that introverted, uh, excuse me, um, uh, extroverted intuition provides. So in my mind, that's kind of what I theorize. That there must be something in my writing that's causing me to activate that opposing function, extrovert intuition, and my NI's inability to do a deep down to get to the essential element of each of those ideas can be overwhelmed and cause me anxiety. That was my theory. That's what I wanted to share with you. But when I started reading this morning, um, what came to me is that there might be another possibility for that anxiety when I'm writing. I think this, I think this can happen with the reading too, but it doesn't happen in the reading as much as it does for me in my writing. It's extroverted thinking and introverted thinking. Extroverted thinking likes having access to external standards that has been measured and proven. And what hit me when I was reading this morning is that I wonder if introverted thinking is being activated when I'm doing some of these writing projects and my TE is experiencing anxiety because it's my TI is using internal, I'm using internal logic. And my TE was like, no, we don't do internal logic. We do external logic because we like logic that's been tested and measured and validated and proven. And this TI thing that you're doing right now, this internal logic, isn't isn't working for us. (laughs) And that's another possibility for the anxiety that I can experience. And again, it's just a flash. And so that's, so I just have been paying attention to when my body has that. And the reason, and I'm going to close here, the reason why I brought up the adult beverages because when I'm not in my healthy space, if that flash of anxiety hits me, I go, oh, I'm feeling, I'm feeling like having a glass of wine. Right? Hey, you want to go out and have a couple of drinks with me? Right? And it seems so benign, right? It seems so unconnected. Cause that's just, like I said, we're in the, I'm in the Midwest. That's just what you do. I mean, I'm in a town of bars, right? It's just, it's just what you do. And I don't know if it's my profession because teachers, we do, that's what we do. You want to go out to have a couple of drinks after work? Never making the connection <laughs> that it's something else happening, right? So once I start taking myself on these fasts, I started learning my body as it relates to when I use adult beverages as some form of uh, problem solving. Of course, I never thought about it as that, and I only could become aware of it when I, when I strip that from my, strip that when you strip adult beverages from your toolbox. You either have to get a new tool or you have to, you have to sit with it, whatever that thing is, that you are masking, whatever the vice is. 
So I feel like all of that comes together in this idea called anxiety. And so when I am walking about and I go, Ooh, uh, Oh, let's, I want to go get a glass of wine. What I do now is I pause. What's going on? Check in with the body. What is the body saying? And so, yeah, that's just a strategy. That's a hack I use for myself. Um, just because, and, and I, it might be because I'm an Enneagram eight and I don't want anything controlling me. Even something that I enjoy, right? I can enjoy adult beverages, but I don't want it to be in control. I enjoy food. I don't like when it's in control. And it definitely was in control uh, during this last four months, which is why I'm like, wait a minute. You know, and I, I wonder if I would have had a different job, how I would have problem solved it. But the way I problem solved it was like, you're going to have two months off. You're going to take time. You're going to use that time to get a better plan. This isn't working. This configuration. And I think part of that was when I I decided not to apply for the position. When it became open, I decided not to apply for it. And I did apply, I did apply for another one and I didn't get it. And then I was like, okay, so what does that mean? And so that's kind of what I'm sitting with now. On one hand, there's something, and this is going to open up another reflection. So anyway, I'll have to process that later because I just think knowing your, knowing your body, especially in the darker spaces, right? We don't, I don't like talking about it. Maybe you don't mind. I don't like talking about it, but I have to contend with it because if you don't, it can, it can manifest in some unnecessary ways, right? This is a project. Uh, how do I start off this podcast? This is a for contemplative people looking to think, grow, and have impact in the world. So the growth part is part of this project is part of me. And growing isn't just about in relationships, isn't just about work. It's about growing with yourself being a healthy version of the self. You cannot do that if you're unwilling to look at the unhealthy sides of you. And so that's just um, what I think this conversation around anxiety helps me to do, helps me to look at what what makes me feel overwhelmed, what makes me feel unease, what helps me, what makes me feel disconnected from myself. What are the whys? What are some of the vices that I use when I'm not in a space to do true problem solving, what are some things that I do to mask that unease, right? And I would encourage all of you to do that. I'm, a, you know, whether you fast, um, whatever you do, you know, and like walking is and exercising is good for me. Um, but it doesn't, there's nothing like what fasting does for me is something that exercising doesn't do. So just different Different ways to get to know the self through the body, basically. And um, I don't know what that's, I don't know if, I thought that this reflection was going to be some grand um, revelation about my writing. But I don't, or about me, I thought I was going to go into a space of thinking about when I have functioned in the world as an INTP, when I was doing more writing. And, um, and I, 
this is part of the reflection I do want to do as I start, you know, as I continue to think about what does work look like for me until business is self-sustaining. But even in that question, I'm starting to ask the question, I don't know if I am going to enjoy what I will need to do to make business self-sustaining because it might require more anxiety-induced endeavors. It, And I think about it might require me to do more of my shadow functions, extroverted intuition and introverted thinking. And that doesn't feel healthy either. So I have to think about the correlation between my business and my cognitive functions and my employment and my cognitive functions. Um, I've been doing a really deep dive into all of this around work, right? You guys know it, but hopefully you can see it as I see it each time I come to it. I'm doing exactly what an introverted intuitive will do. I keep layering down, getting to its most essential element here. Something is at the deep core and I am drilling down to access it. Um, so I thought that this reflection was going to go into that part, but um, it, it really made me just focus more on the, you know, learning about being healthy by paying attention to my body and noticing unhealthy, the unhealthy. And so I think that's because where I spent most of my time, but I don't think writing is unhealthy. I don't think it is as, as but if I, there have been times when I've been an extent here, here's how I'm going to wrap it all together. There have been the times when I, Okay, here, this is perfect. I'm closing here. There have been times when I've been in an extended writing place. And, and it, and I never knew this until really till now, but maybe, and like I said, in the last six months where I've been really thinking about, uh, anxiety as relating to my writing. And I'd be like, Oh, I had a writing day. I'm right. I'm drinking wine, right? When I did that dissertation, when I did my dissertation, and when I wrote my book, I did not, I, I was fasting from a, uh, any adult beverages. And that dissertation process took about four months. I did not allow myself to drink during that time. So I don't think it is exactly about writing that is inducing that feeling of anxiety because in that dissertation, I was doing a lot of drilling down in the book writing. I was doing a lot of drilling down. I bet you any money that it's a part of the writing process that ex, uh, activates my, my fifth and sixth function, extroverted intuition, introverted thinking. You guys, I don't know what to tell you if you're not into cognitive function theory, or personality theory. I just feel like I don't even know how you move about in the world without having it. How do you learn yourself? How do you learn yourself? How do you connect with yourself without it? How? I, I just, I don't know, because it's just such a lifeline 
You know, we get taught so much about the outer world. We go to school for 12 years, 13 years to learn about the outer world. To learn about the outer world, to learn about how to function in the outer world. Man, if we spent 12 years learning about our inner world. If we spent as much time studying our inner world that we studied our outer world, we would be better humans. Maybe. <laughs> I don't, I'm not ready to make that full argument. But you understand what I'm saying. We spend a lot of time focused on the outer that we don't even value the inner. And I'm telling you, personality theory is it. Even if it's not a perfect science, it is. it gives the vocabulary. It gives the language to start having conversations about the inner world. And I tell you, so I think it's that fifth and sixth function for me that gives me anxiety. I think it's both. Because it's not in my top of my stack. So that's interesting. And so that's just something I wanted to share with you. Um, that's all. That's it. If this reflection has had any value for you, please give it a heart. If this conversation about anxiety and what causes it, how do we recognize it, and what do we do with it? Um, there's so many different things I've talked about as it relates to me, me telling you all of my business, right? But they all centered around how do you recognize it? Um, what is anxiety? How do you recognize it in your own body? And what do you do about it? If this conversation connects to a conversation you've had in the world, please take this link and share it with those participants. Feel free to tell them, don't listen to the whole thing. Go to a particular minute in that reflection. Don't make them listen to the whole thing. It's called a meaningful share, <laughs> not an arbitrary share, a meaningful one. I only want people coming to this project who gets it because I can be a weird sort, right? <laughs> so we just, just cut out a lot of unnecessary drama. Share with people who will get it, okay? And if my moving about in this reflection has caused some randomness in you, I'd love to hear it. You can find me on my website at yournidom.wordpress.com. Twitter, yournidom1. Facebook and YouTube, yournidom. Let me give you your assignment. When do you experience anxiety? We all have, it's, it's a feeling that we all have. It's actually, and I didn't share this with you. One of the articles I read is that it's part of our internal wiring for survival. It is a survival tech uh, apparatus that we have as humans. So you can't say, I don't experience anxiety. No, boo. No, no, no. So you, we all experience it, okay? So when do you experience anxiety is the real question. I think that's it. Now, let me give you, if you want to, if you're ambitious, let me give you a couple more assignments. How does that register in your body? Because it is a feeling. So how does it register in your body as an indicator? And then what are some of the ways that you uh, cope with or um, address that anxiety? And that could unhealthy ways and healthy ways. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I want to I want to spend some more time with that for myself. You know, I've talked a lot about unhealthy strategies. Um, but clearly I have healthy strategies. Um, but that's when I'm aware of that. 
I think it's when I'm aware that I'm dealing with anxiety. I think my biggest challenge is not being aware. So I'm not aware that I'm dealing with anxiety and I automatically go into problem solving and I'm not necessarily thinking about healthy problem solving because I'm not even thinking I'm problem solving. I pick the path of least resistance for me. And so for me, it's just good for me to be aware of when I am dealing with anxiety. And so I just want to leave that with you. I, I invite you to identify when you experience anxiety and all those extra other questions. Let that be extra credit. But this core assignment is when do you experience anxiety? You guys, it's been a pleasure hanging out with you until I come back. Be well. Bye.